0: I'm Suzanne Murdoch and welcome to Series 3 of Powering Productivity. Each episode I explore the energy, the really genuine connections, expertise and being in your best flexible working environment can bring to you, your business and your whole life. So let's get started. Welcome I'm your host Suzanne Murdoch and Welcome back to you if you've joined us before and a very warm welcome for you new listeners out there. Now, go easy on me. This is my first episode for a little while. Um, Today, we are talking, keeping it local, exploring the possibilities of regional working and independent, flexible office workspaces. Um, To assist me with this, I am joined by the lovely Bernie Mitchell, the seasoned expert who's been around on the co-working circuit for as long as I can remember co-working being around. Massive advocate um, for co-working, a writer, podcaster, and coach. And Bernie's a massive champion for us smaller, more local and flexible workplace operators and very much communities as well. So Bernie, we recently spoke on your podcast a little while ago about the importance of um, inclusive and collaborative co-working communities. Um, And we touched on, I guess, the transformative power of those spaces and how they can really bring or what they can bring to a diverse cohort, increased productivity, promoting fulfilment, and really that belonging, that psychological safety that a lot of us often crave. So I'm keen to follow on from that um, and explore, I guess, the value that the more local, regional, and smaller co-working spaces can bring um, to both remote hybrid workers but very much to communities as well, the local community. So if you would Bernie for those who haven't um, met you or listened to you before could you give us a quick rundown of who you are and what you do
1: I um my, my cute answer to this nowadays is like I I I talk and I type which I stole from someone I did a podcast with because that because that's that's what I love I love typing and researching and then doing this and podcasting and having conversations with people and then a lot of it is about I mean, it's not a career but it's what i do is I, I i find people and i connect them and their ideas and and that's that's what i end up doing so you know people pay me money to give them advice on how to run a co-working space but actually what i do all day long is like interview people and i'm just wildly wildly curious about um how people do things and this local community thing is like a the co-working local community thing is a conversation i discovered Uh, co-working europe in like 2014 and you know i've just never been able to let it go and it's something that like grows and grows and grows and grows and grows and covid i think sort of supercharged the acceleration of the future of work as we like to call it so now it's even more exciting than ever
0: and there's a lot of spin-offs i guess from co-working communities as well and we're talking the local economy there's a lot of different um Avenues and, and things that feed into the co working community. So you've got um, obviously people working in the centres themselves, and then they go and talk to shop owners, et cetera, local businesses, and it's this massive spiral effect. And I think, like you said, especially since COVID, it, it's really blossomed and it's just evolving massively, and there's something different happening every month.
1: There is, I got to know co working so well in London because I was in a meetup group called Kindred run by a lady called Alex Butler. been part of the whole tech city setup and i don't know if it still is but it was known as silicon roundabout by old street and back in back in 2010 if you were a freelancer it was like secret code for i can't get a job and she was like actually no freelancers and independent workers is like a really valid career choice and and she knew lots of you know freelancers and we'd get them all together in a meetup group and in About that time, there was this thing called co-working that had been around before, obviously, but it was like exploding in London. And she would go to co-working spaces and say, would you like, you know, 10 freelancers to come and sit in your building, you know, once a week for two hours and and meet? So I got to go to nearly every new every time a new co-working space opened, they got in contact with Alex. And and I got to meet lots of co-working spaces as they opened in London um, because I went to a different meetup every day. And that's how I got into it. And then at that point, all those co-working spaces, I I actually say like 80% of those co-working spaces were in zone one of London and the other 20% were in zone two. And now there's more and more places opening up in, I always say this wrong, six, five and four. So people are commuting less. And there's a stat which um, Islington, which is a borough in London, are really red hot on, local co-working and affordable workspace and everything like that and they have an inclusion department and the inclusion department researched and this is probably a few years old now but um, every time someone spends a pound with a local business um, it goes around the local economy four times but when they go and spend a pound with Marks and Spencers or Sainsbury's or a you know big global company it kind of exits the local economy right away so it's better I mean it's, it's not a a new conversation but spending money with local businesses reinforces the economic strength of that area.
0: Yeah absolutely and isn't this a stat um, it's been around for a while so it's probably increased a bit but every co-worker in a co-working spends something like seven eight pounds a day in the local economy.
1: A friend of mine Irene did some research at a I'm not going to say it because it's bad karma but a very well-known top shelf margarita type um, co-working space and um, this was 2018, 2019, and because of where it was close to a, a mainline railway station in London, people would come off, um, buy their food at like Pret or Tesco, go into the co-working space and then leave and not really actually spend any money with the local places around there. And my gut feeling and sort of what I want to be true is that if I'm you know, coming to a place like yours, I will be part of the local community rather than commuting in to commute if if I'm a co-worker co-worker commuter like TM co-worker commuter I'll come in and I'll just like sleepwalk into brand names and stuff like that and not really connect with the local area but if I stay in my home area and um, like we were talking before we came on I think that makes you I I know from personal experience I end up going to, to shop locally rather than just commuting
0: yeah, no, I love that. And okay. then if you're doing that as well, when you go to the likes of conferences in the bigger cities, you've got that culture and you've got that, um, the different experiences, cultures, etc. that you can take into the city. Hence why I guess they're, they're quite cosmopolitan, but I think it's a, it's a real two way, two way thing and they can really feed each other, you know, your, your city centric brands, co-working spaces, um, as well as the more peripheral villages in whenever
1: it was covid started to lockdown started to subside is i was in a place called work hive in ilford and probably since 2010 i've been looking for a co-working space in redbridge which was the borough i lived in london and there was was never anything there was some really like horrible horrible serviced offices and they looked like something out an episode of minder you know they were like really really terrible um and they're, and they're still operating like that um and i wanted i wanted a co-working space not an office and then workhive was started by a guy called paul and he he just had a lot of experience in architecture and office design and everything so he took over this building and it was a really really well designed building it wasn't flash it was just very very well done um and I, I was there for like two years and i shared an office with another guy um who i'd met in a co-working space we were in together beforehand and then I would go there every day. I'd walk around. I'd wave to people in the park. I'd go to all the local restaurants nearby. And then when I needed to go into town, then I'd go into, you know, the no, 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 lots of people who run co-working spaces in town. And then I'd go in. And that, for me, I mean, I don't know if I could have done that for 25 years, but that was great because I just, and especially with the um, Elizabeth line, you can get from Ilford to, you know, probably Ireland now by, right? Um <laughs> by the Elizabeth line, so it's like super convenient, you save so much time traveling and you get, more so than the local economy, you get to know people in your local area.
0: Yeah, you do, yeah, and there's so many people who work as well for the bigger companies that you get all the experiences, you get the skill set, there's always something, someone that knows something that you don't know or can connect you to someone. Um, you know, the whole world is so joined up now, It's a, it really is a small world. Bernie, when we're talking about these smaller, more um, local spaces, what do you think the nuances and added values are for remote hybrid workers as opposed to commuting into the city-centric, bigger brands?
1: So I'm in a little, tiny little co-working space here. There's ten people, and three or four of those people are in that situation, and they and I'm in this little kind of co-working community fairy tale because the. The, where, where our son goes to school the co-working space is right by the school so all the people who run the co-working space and work in the co-working space our kids all go to the same school and there's like no commute there's this really really strong sense of community which is definitely dependent on um chris and zapata who run who run the co-working space um i think i'm going off topic for your question here but because of the, who runs it that has a huge influence which i'm sure you know mm. people know but then there's that there's there's just that massive lack of commute there's there's meeting people outside the you know your your work and finding other ideas so quite often we we will sit that da- we all sit down for lunch together and we end up chatting about stuff and someone says oh like you know this thing happened on a website i'm not quite sure what to do oh try this my mate does this and then they get into they get like cross-referred. So it's not like a business networking group. It's like a, an idea exchange. And I all the way through that like brain-draining future of work, should we go back to the office conversation? Um, most of the, maybe because I'm looking for it, but people don't mind going to the office and meeting their team members and stuff like that. It's like obviously really important, but it's like sitting on the train from Brentwood to Liverpool Street, you know, and getting stuck and all that cost and time is the, is the killer so there's the added sense of community of being in a in a little co-working space and there's not having to do the commute and then if you're because you're not having to do the commute you can go and pick your kid up from school or you can go and run around the local area and stuff like that it just saves so much time and enhances your life
0: yeah and i think for me it feels a lot more organic you know than ne- you are networking but you're naturally networking you're not put in this forced situation it's a more natural environment for different personalities. There's a question later on about introverted personalities and how can they how can they help in that situation? But I think co-working spaces naturally lend themselves to different environments for different people, different ways of working at different times during the day. So I think for me, it's a lot more organic.
1: yeah. I've never really known anything different. You know, I've gone to offices yeah. in the past of projects I've been working on, but um I found particularly, I think when we moved from London to Spain, um, I had to I had to eat my own dog food because I've been for years, I've been going like, oh, co working is such a great way to go native and meet people and everything like that. And it just, and that's actually what happened is I, we've been coming to this town for at least a decade before we moved here because my brother in law lived here. So I kept an eye on co working. And when we first came, there was one, really odd serviced office that wasn't i wasn't even sure it was a serviced office but it had the word co-working on the website and i never managed to get in there and in the last decade there's there's probably like only 20 co-working spaces in this town um 20 co-working spaces and two starbucks which i love and i've got to know that community and that's that was how i got connected to the city properly that's how i arrived here because i've got to know people through co-working
0: that's another thing it's brilliant for signposting so we've had members here for how old are we 12 12 years old we are in, in uh, the hub newry and our members a couple of them joined when we started up kids have grown up together it's it feels like a family dynamic if you like yeah um, and we've got to know um different organizations and tips and tricks etc of, of what to do at whatever time with the kids, if we're struggling with certain things at school, et cetera, there's always someone to bounce ideas off of. So, it, no, it works really, it's worked really well for us, and it's certainly well, hopefully well for our members because they're still with us. <laughs> Creating, I guess, a workplace that people really want to belong to, aside from the, fun- the functionality side of things, what drives those members to, to stay within the membership within that space, just from your experience?
1: Ooh. For me, it's, it's always been about like, uh, and then this sounds really cliche, like it's the connections with people. So when I remember a place called Bathtub to Boardroom, which is closed now, but it was in London. And the Jinder was the CEO. And we're still friends nowadays. And she was just, she was super organized, but she was just really, really good at knowing everybody in the building and going, oh, Susan, you know, I noticed you were drinking this particular brand of green tea I saw Bernie doing that or didn't I see you playing baseball on um on Instagram yeah yeah, yeah. oh like right. you know Suzanne does that and it's, it's like stitching together and I think it's not impossible to do that in a bigger branded space but when there's like you know places like you where you and Patrick are you know I see you on Instagram all going out for dinner and stuff like that it's not you can't do that in a bigger place but I think that's for me is the difference between a co-working space and a an office that Wants to adopt a co-working mindset. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, more. I guess it's more forced in that that instance, perhaps.
1: Yeah, it's like I I grew up in um in restaurants and hospitality and everything like that, and and I I worked for you know at the peak of my career, I worked for Pizza Hut, Um, I worked for Pizza Hut and TGI Fridays and Intercontinental Hotels and all the and, and those type of things. And it was very well organized and efficient and everything like that. And I definitely, definitely learned a lot of stuff there that you wouldn't learn, you know, in, a, in an indie restaurant. But then my best times and most connected times um, were working on, working in places where they had one or two or three places and you you were kind of part of the action. And, you know, there was never this, I know this is just part of business, but there was never like, you know, Derek from head office is coming today. It was like, he's the owner. And and that always worked way better for me. It was more precarious in some stages, you know. Like, not enough people are coming to the restaurant that month, and you could see the owner like going mad about how he's going to pay everybody and who, you know. But the 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 action, the the feeling of like being part of something was was more, more important to me than it was being part of a you know huge global operation. Yeah, I'm not sure that, that answered your question. Sorry. No, but... no,
0: it does. It's it's those words being part of that whole. Yeah. fulfillment coming back to that work community and I guess it all it's all driven very much by the relationships and the long-term relationships and really getting to know your clients, members, whatever you like to call them to an extent where you almost you can anticipate their needs before they even realize them, you can anticipate the challenges they might have. Um you can tell if they're having a, an off day and they might need some support. You know, you just pick up on these nuances that are happening.
1: One of my greatest hit stories is um when I was in a place called mainyard Yard Studios in Hackney, um, my friend Eleanor used to stand. She she, she didn't work there, she was just part of the, the core membership. And she would stand in the kitchen in the morning and she would say, Oh, what what are you doing today? And for at least the first three weeks, she asked me, I had no idea what I was doing today. I was just like glad to get in the building. Um and and then I'd started to sort of organize myself. Oh, well, you know, um, I'm I've got my day planned like this, and just those, and I know it sounds silly, but like those, those little interactions of um, and it was a particularly dark mental time. So it really helped. And she wasn't delivering therapy or anything, but like it was being there and aware and jigging people over. And one of the, that's why I always advocate going to a co-working space because I think it's so good for your mental well-being and, and even if you haven't got a mental health challenge at the moment like getting out the house and moving and breathing and having to interact with people is, is really really important and like we have I'm, I'm in our home office today and it's just such a luxury to have you know stay at home and you know not have to go out and do stuff but it's not instead of but as well as is where i'd like to like direct people
0: yeah, I think so, and that, that word nurture comes to mind in co-working spaces as well. I know when when in COVID where you weren't really allowed to speak to anyone or you could see someone, but you couldn't touch them. Just knowing that there was someone else in the office next to you <laughs> meant the world. Yeah. No, there was someone else in the building. You could shout at them, you know, through the wall, but there was that. Hang on the wall. <laughs> yeah, but it was there was that support there that where at home, you just wouldn't have got that. So in terms of, I guess, coming back to that community, nurturing, sustaining the community and that whole environment thing, the sense of belonging, fulfillment, um, and the whole piece around humanity in the workplace, what what does that mean to you? Acts of service, fulfillment, spring to mind for me.
1: there's There's been, like when I've worked for a company, there's been times I've been part of a team and like everyone's everyone's really been all in and cared and it's been great and it's been like being part of a it's like it's like being part of a sports team versus being part of a you know team working on building a car or something you know and and that 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 sense of understanding i know this is almost what we just said but like that that sense of understanding and connection and and rooting for each other is really really important and that's one of the things that has made me veer towards working independently rather than working for a big company. Cause I've had lots of friends. This is a bit of a sideways answer, sorry, but I've had, I've had lots of friends that have um, like one, they've been, they've been let go unexpectedly because their branch has been closed down or the like, you know, the, the lack of information moving around. So they think they're part of something and then they're suddenly not part of something And there's this like machine that like cuts off that bit because it's not working. And I always found that quite hard to, I know that's just the reality of, you know, huge, huge businesses, but that was a bit I always found unattractive about working in that type of workplace. Um, The lack of agency that comes of being part of something bigger, no matter what position you're in.
0: Yeah. And for me, I think it gives, it, it allows that I guess we're coming back to coaching talk here, but it allows that almost like a safe space as well for people to get to know each other, to have that awareness, really understand personalities, the best ways of working. But as I mentioned before, that almost like a safe psychological space as well where you can experiment, you can get curious, you can have that space to really question what you're doing, question your thinking, the possibilities.
1: So there's two little points that popped into my head there. There's um like I've, I've read everything ever by Bernie Brown, and you know that that has really informed like how I work with people, my own self awareness, which is always a work in progress, uh, and you know also like how I you know deal with my family and uh, especially parenting. There's a whole chunk about that. And in there, she says, you know, she did a TED talk and became big and companies would say, oh, you know, come and let's have Brenny Browning because she's the speaker at the moment. And she's been doing all these things. And they say, we don't want to talk about vulnerability. We want to talk about creativity and productivity. And she's like, but vulnerability comes from, you know, I'm trying to think of people like, sorry to obviously When we talk about inventing things like Thomas Edison, he wasn't, he wasn't being productive when he was making light bulbs. He was like trying and trying and trying and messing up and messing up. And it was a very vulnerable space. And that's such a cliche example. I'm sorry. But, um, so, you know, vulnerability is a massive part of like creativity and a word I think is overused, but innovation is, is when you're at the edge of something, you know, even open a co-working space. Um, in like when you folks did, you know, it's like, I've heard this co-working thing. Do you think it will work? I don't know. Yeah, like, not sure what you know. it is,
0: but we'll do it yeah.
1: anyway. What Patrick and Susan doing? You know, they should just open a garage and sell crisps, not a co-working space. You know, it's like a—I'm exaggerating for effect, but it's like a daring thing to do. So there was a—it was a lot of vulnerability, and when you run your own business, there's a huge amount of like risk and uncertainty and vulnerability there. So operating in that space is is really hard. I did have a second example, but it's completely gone. Sorry.
0: No worries. Actually, that brings me on nicely to the next um, topic in terms of, if you look at this from um, the flexible workspace operators perspective. So, I mean, that whole job and you'll know this, I know this, there's an awful lot that goes with it and you are very vulnerable. You're constantly having to chase the evolving workplace and what people are looking for their requirements etc you've got compliance you've got the driving the community the relationship building the pricing events etc there's an awful lot that comes under that that umbrella what about um the whole overwhelm for for operators and and burnout i know you do a lot of coaching around this are there any tips There's, there's trying to be
1: everything to everyone and um yeah, you know, there's there's, there's one, there's one space I work with and they, and they, they wanted to be like every, it's like opening a restaurant that sold everything on the menu. And, and this was before COVID. And I, I was amazed at the, and it's not like they were, you know, they were like a really smart person. I was like, you just, if you just serve fish and chips and maybe a Savoy and a vegetarian thing, that's all you need to do. But they wanted to have like spaghetti and sushi and flambés and, lentil stew it's like just do this you know just do that bit really well and then after you got that working do this you know like introduce burgers or something and like one thing at a time and if you if if all those people that wanted all those things all arrived at the same time you know you would your head would fall off um and i i feel in that particularly like owner managed spaces when there's like um an owner and a community manager or maybe there's like four people who run the building if you're a community manager man, running all these things you have to be serving the owner and you have to be serving i know 50 members and you can get stretched in so many directions and you need to really like work out a system that works with where you are so um there's adam who is a long long-running community manager at Indy hall and his answer for everything is ask the community where's the printer ask the community and it's not being like I can't be bothered to tell you it's like if you go and ask the community like Susan will tell you how to run the printer and then I won't have to and then there's all these micro conversations going and everyone ends up helping each other And, and and there is a lot of effort in there I don't mean to sound that like a quick fix you know flick your flick your fingers and it will all work but when when you sort of activate people in the community to help each other, it takes a huge burden off yourself. And that's a whole curation bit in itself.
0: Yeah. yeah. And it serves so many different purposes to get to know each other, to get to know what, what they do, the skill sets. And it can spiral in a really positive way, doing it that way, I think. It just makes a lot of sense. And I know I know I was reading an article, or maybe it was on your website, your coaching that you would you do help a lot of um operators, for example simplify I guess the strategy of doing this sort of work I mean what what benefit in your experience does coaching bring to co-working operators like uh,
1: acting like being coached or or
0: yeah be, being, ac- being accidentally
1: coaching people but well I guess I,
0: I guess both
1: so so with um I've read it somewhere early on because I used to think like uh, Right, like 15 years ago I'd be like oh coach you know like I, I'm so good I don't need any help and then someone said to me like people people sitting on their sofa eating chips or chips, or fish and chips all day watching movies don't have a coach people running four minute miles and you know <laughs> scoring goals consistently do have a coach and then it was and then it, and then that whole kind of like growing out so now you know I've got two people I work with and um and Then sometimes a therapist, depending on how life is going. And if I didn't go and talk to those people, I would be, I know, I don't know what would be going on. And I have like I'm a dyslexic, I'm sure I'm ADHD, and I'm jumping all over the place. I have a million ideas a second. And you know, like one of them every five years might make it into the thing. But unless I kind of operate within a structure either of a coach, um, so very often I, I know every Monday morning I'll speak to Ann Hawkins. And I just save everything up to there and I make a list and 70% of what's on that list doesn't matter by the time I get to the meeting. And at least half of that 70% is like complete Bernie drama. And the other 35, (laughs) the other 35% has worked itself out altogether and I'm not, you know, burdening my wife with things. And it doesn't mean every interaction I have with my friends is like a semi therapeutic coaching save my life session it just it just kind of brings clarity all the way around um it's
0: it's kind of like a check-in accountability session
1: yeah yeah the the since um I mean another accountability this isn't a coaching thing but there's a a book called the 12-week year and in our co-working space in Houston we used to run this session for freelancers every Monday called not so manic Monday and the whole like jokey point of it was people who work independently to actually get out of bed and have to be somewhere by 10 o'clock on Monday. And then, and then their week would start on a Monday at 10 o'clock, not somewhere halfway through Wednesday afternoon. Um, and we followed the, there's two things we did is we followed a, There's a guy called John Steppo who has a book called working out loud, where you talk about what you're working on and share ideas. And then the 12 week here is, is um, part of that is working in three month chunks. So every quarter you have a set of goals, and then on um on monday or once a week you have a weekly accountability meeting which is what made me say this and every monday since 2018 me and karen no matter where we are in the world have had a weekly accountability meeting and it's there's always a fitness goal and we go up and down and it's one of the things that kept us alive in um kept us sane in in lockdown it's like how you doing i don't know like i've got to keep meditating you know i've got to keep running i've got to find a way to do this and, you know, it's it's, it's huge. having an external force help you with your life.
0: And it doesn't always give you the answers. It just allows you that space to air what you're thinking. There's no right or wrong answers. And it's, I think uh, it, it, ju- it, 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 it just, it's, but it quite often clarifies thoughts that you might be having. Yep.
1: Yeah. Um, what well, I was about to shout out there, sorry to interrupt. Um, i got all excited, you know. Ah! Could, Cause there's 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 that distinction between coaching and mentoring. It's like, yeah. do you want advice? Or do you, you know, do you want me to ask you some really sticky, awkward questions that make you do the hard work of thinking so you work it out for yourself?
0: Yeah. And it's not always easy. It can be quite uncomfortable. These that you know, there's often silent pauses to allow you that time to think. Yeah but it works. And you know, this isn't just applicable to co-working operators. This, this can be used in all sorts of different avenues, but it it really, it's helped me massively. And I've been um, doing a lot of coaching with other industry leaders, really enjoying it. But it, I think the word clarify springs to mind for me. And certainly the mentoring is growing massively in the reverse mentoring. So for example, in different businesses you know it's not just um top down it can be bottom up as well and everyone's bringing that skill set to the table and experiences and that maybe their challenges yeah
1: i i mean i'm I'm seeking out as well but a lot of stuff i read that is um is about conversations and talking and connection um uh, you know at a corporate level and you know this it's like overwhelmed i haven't got anything to cite directly here but you know books i've read by very well thought out people um and talks i've been to and stuff like that the more in like covid and lockdown and that separation brought a need for um working out how to work in a situation like this so there's judy Rees, who is um she's I can't remember what her thing's called, but it's like everything she she is about is about coaching around clarity and communication and her business exploded in COVID because all the people like the United Nations were like, oh my God, what are we going to do? And someone said, oh, I know Judy, she's really good at like clarity and communication and, you know, she's she's never been busier. And this need for this kind of need for connection and clarity and communication to not, not just make better businesses, but like further personally and the team and the whole the whole mission and project is is huge and one of the things I'm seems to have gone down is this need for like top down like usually one white guy who knows everything and has to tell everyone what to do and I've never even before I knew what that was I never liked that way of doing stuff when I was at school there was some form of democracy and conversation and the ones I just it's not I hated, but like I just didn't respond to or get anywhere in where, where there was like a, you know, you had to sit in silence, be obedient, and you're not quite sure what you're doing. And there was no, there was no freedom or agency allowed.
0: Yeah. Interaction. And and let, let, let let's face it, how often do we get to sit down with someone and actually someone listening, really focusing in on, on us for more than two minutes at a time? It's quite rare. And I think yeah. when it ha- happens to you, they, these sparks just go off. <laughs> And all these ideas and, and and that clarity thing, it's just a different world for me. Wary of time, Bernie. I, do, I want to touch on the work that you do with London Assembly. Tell us a little bit about that.
1: The London Co-working Assembly. So how it came about is in 2014, um, a load of us went to Co-working Europe in Lisbon, and we there was a thing. There a group called Copars that used to run a camp at every Co-working Europe. And now we still we do that at different places nowadays. So it was like forty co-working space operators staying in this amazing hostel in Lisbon, and it was it was you know a riot. It was one of the best experiences I've ever had in my life. And we all came back from Lisbon and we were like, oh my goodness, you know, so, so we'd all come back from Burning Man co-working. We want to have that here. So we start. There was a Facebook group that was started, and we started meeting each other, and it, it never had any real structure. Um, and then in 2018, we, after years of like jumping about and doing different things, we said, okay, let's just meet once a month in a different co-working space and see what happens. And it started as few people around a table having breakfast together, chatting a bit like a breakfast networking meeting. And then it moved into this thing where like every month we have a panel and a topic um and it's always we get we, we call people co-creators, which is secret code for sponsor, but um people support make give financial support to the co-working assembly, which makes it accessible for everybody. Because, you know, like I go to conferences and get a lot out of them. But you know, when you run a co-working space, you can't send like three community managers to the thing. Um and then what we found early on was um people would say, Oh, if you want to go, you can pay for yourself. But I, you know, like I want to go, but I don't want to pay and so by making it very accessible to everyone um you know from local authority people to co-working space it's mainly co-working space operators and community managers that go and then we we just work out normally i'd like to be, be more organized in this but what happens is we do an event and someone says oh we should do this and then we just do the next one like that and then in um where you're coming at the end of uh february on the 27th and 28th is the workspace design show in london and we got to know the workspace design show and we become the in in the london and amsterdam we become like the co-working arm of that of that event and they um provide us with a space to run a two events dedicated to independent co-working space owners and the workspace design show is a it's a I don't like exhibitions, but I love this one. Like uh, when, I, when I went to it, I was a bit like, oh, I don't want to go do this. But it is super, super interesting. You know, there's the, you can look at coffee machines and play with curtains and chairs and there's really, really good talks. And I'm keen to say that all the people that are doing the talks in the main co-working, um, sorry, the main workspace design arena are there by merit. So they don't, it's not like a lot of, a lot of whatever industry is, a lot of conferences you pay to be on the stage. And this is people who are, you know actors and contributors to the industry sharing their knowledge in the main thing so you can come to the London co-working assembly two breakfast events and then spend two days I think you have to go home in between but then spend two days finding out main, mainly that is about offices I don't like you know offices and corporations and companies and you know HR and how to lay out your offices and design and everything like that so it's it's i think it's it's free to get into and it's really interesting and a very good use of time for people to see a lot in a very short space of time
0: brilliant well i'm looking forward to going i haven't been there before bernie really good talking to you tell us a little bit about um how people can get in touch where they can find out more
1: so you can google or bing or whatever you use bernie j mitchell and there's normally a fight between myself and a uh drywall artist in canada who has the same name as me and if you go to linkedin there's um that's the best place to get me actually it's just okay my website is berniejmitchell.com but linkedin is where i'm most contactable so feel free to Brilliant. dm me or something there
0: and we'll um, put that in the show notes after good stuff bernie thanks so much for your time good luck and i will see you in february
1: thank you very much take care folks
0: Thanks for listening. You can find more information in the show notes or on our website, thehubmury.com. While you're there, why not join our mailing list so we can keep you in the know about everything we're up to. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen so you don't miss an episode. Powering Productivity is presented by me, Suzanne Murdoch. It's produced by Emily Crosby Media.